Hope everybody's doing all right. Um, while I was back in the baptistry, y'all were singing. It was loud back in the baptistry. Um, so that, that, was, that, was, that was really neat to hear. Um, as you know, yeah, turn the lights up. I like to see people. I write down the ones that sleep during the sermon. Pray for God's judgment during the week for those and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I like to see things. Um, uh, anyway, anyway, uh, tonight starts Summer Spectacular, and we're really excited about it. Um, and if, after the service, we will finish up in here setting up. We have three screens to put up and some other stuff. Um, we are, this is something that not many people know. Is my mic on? Can you hear me out there? Yeah, great. Not many people know. We, are, we have a little bit of 3D this year, actual 3D. So the kids are going to put on 3D glasses and see some 3D uh, today, 3D Bible stories and such, such and so forth. We'll just see how good it is, you know, but it, it's nonetheless, um, we're trying to do that. If you have a chance when you leave today um, to go over to the Children's Worship Center and see what's set up over there for the preschoolers. It looks pretty amazing over there, so just uh, go over there and see. So it's a big, big, big event. Just pray for it. Pray for kids to be saved and kids to learn about Jesus, and because uh, that's why we do that. Um, it's warm, isn't it? Yeah, it's hot again. Yeah, it's warm. It had nothing to do with that, but it's hot. Um, if I was to ask you, the number one burning fire story in the Bible, what would you say that was? Okay, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Moses in the burning bush. Yeah. I would say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be in the top five, but that burning bush is probably number one. The reason it's number one is it's repeated all throughout Scripture. I mean, you, you can find it anywhere in Scripture. It's referenced many times, his call, the burning bush, and Moses going forward to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. So it's probably number one. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. I know what I need, Jonathan. John, I need, I need to hear me in the monitor. That's what I need. Or I'm not going to have a voice after this is over. So just turn me up. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Listen, somebody has to listen to me speak. Might as well be me. <laughs> yeah, just, just kidding. It's just a joke. If you're visiting with us for the first time today, my name is Philip Brand. I'm the pastor here, so I'm glad that you're with us. I noticed um, a couple of first-timers, so that's, that's incredible. I hope you enjoyed the worship, and I hope you enjoyed the message um, that's about to be preached. All right, Exodus chapter 3. Let's start reading with verse 1. It says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. 
And he said, here am I. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I said every single one of those correctly. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Let's have the invitation. Awesome. I practice this stuff during the week, and then when I get up here, I can't say it. I don't know what, what the world happens, but nonetheless, there you go. Woo! Awesome. So I want to talk a little bit at the beginning of this message about God and, and who God is in this passage. Um, first of all, God is holy. He's holy. Um, in chapter 3, verse 5, verse 5, it says this, Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I, I think it's, it's very difficult for us to really understand what holiness is and the perfection of holiness and the cleanness of holiness. The cleanest kitchen, the cleanest car, the cleanest house, the brand new item that you get in the mail from Amazon, because we all know if you go out shopping, all that stuff is dirty, but the stuff from Amazon is actually clean when you get it in your home, you know, when you first open up the package and all that kind of stuff, the cleanliness of that doesn't even come close to how holy and clean and perfect God is. It is a concept that is very hard to understand. It's hard to grasp, but we know that God is holy. He's holy. And so in this passage of Scripture, here is this burning bush. It's not consuming the bush at all. And God tells Moses, I'm holy, take off your sandals you are on holy ground. Um, people in India, if you go on a mission, in other places that you go on a mission trip, they will actually not walk into their sanctuary without, with their shoes on. You, you take them off and park them at the door because they feel like that that is a holy set-aside place for worship of God, and so they walk on it with bare feet. I also want you to notice that he did not clean his feet. I don't know if you know anything about sandals, if you've ever wore sandals or flip-flops. They get dusty and dirty in your feet. So it's not the point that your feet are clean. It's the point that you've honored God in his holiness by taking off your sandals and you're walking on holy ground. So God is holy. The next thing about God here is found in verses 7 and 8, and it's God is compassionate. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in the land of Egypt and have heard their cry because they're taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up to a land, a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and that's twice. That was awesome. Twice, I said all those correctly. So here, God is saying he's compassionate. This is, this is what is cool about this. If you're going through something, if you're going through a surgery, if you're going through a hard time in your life, if you feel like you're in bondage, if you feel like there's something you can't get out of, God is compassionate towards you, and he is concerned about that, and he recognizes that, and he is willing to help you through that time. So God is compassionate. In that passage also, um, God is involved. 
He's involved. If we were to use a nice theological word, it'd be imminent. God is imminent. He's involved. See, um, sometimes people feel like God has put them here on earth and he's not connected with them and he's not involved in their life. He's just somewhere in heaven watching us all sin and getting angry about it and then he's going to wipe us out. You know, that's kind of a transcendent would be a big word for that. But, but God is more than that. God is involved. He's involved in every aspect of your life. Even when you are disobeying him and sinning, he is still involved in your life. I don't know if you know this or not, but God will only let you go so far when you're sinning. He'll only let you go so far. He'll only let you go so far in that moment. He'll only let you continue in that sin so far. God is involved in that. When you're doing something for God, God is always involved. You might not sense that he's there, but God is always there. He's always involved with you. So God is compassionate, God is holy, and God is involved. The involved thing, look, I I will not eat at Golden Corral. I would not, and some of you really like it, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm fine, and I can be your, your friend, your pastor, your whatever, but, but Golden Corral is an absolutely nasty place to eat at. The kids go in, and, and they eat from the, from the thing, and they stick their flip-flops into the chocolate fountain and, and kind of lick it, and blah, blah, blah. My ongoing joke with, with Golden Corral is, is that, you know, one day a kid sneezed into the macaroni and cheese and we called it quiche Lorraine. If you don't know what quiche Lorraine is, you can look up a picture. It's got little green things on top of cheese and it's egg, but anyway, it's just, oh, it's just absolutely nasty, okay? And I feel like, not in the sense of God, but I feel like I'm more holy than to eat at Golden Corral. So when I go into that building, you know what I mean? It, I'll go someplace else where the kitchen, you don't know what's going on back there. You can't see it. But the bathrooms are clean and the tables are clean and they're nicely pressed. It could be trashy back there, but there isn't a kid sneezing into the food and doing all that kind of stuff. Okay, so that's me. I'm just one of those people, right? What amazes me with that is where I will not go into Golden Corral, God will. And my sin is much worse to him than that food and a kid or all the germs that I visualize are all over that food. Are, are you following me? God will come down and be involved in your life, though he is holy, though you are nasty, though he is holy, he will come down and he will be involved in your life. And I think that's an absolutely incredible thought. At the point that I would leave something and not even go back, God is saying, I'm going to return, I'm going to return, I'm going to return, I'm going to be involved because those people are valuable to me. And that's, that's amazing. So God is involved. He sees what his people are going through. The last is, is very obvious in this passage. And in verse 4, um, it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place you are standing is on holy ground. I think it's interesting that God chooses people to do his work. I think not only is he involved, but he wants you to be involved. I think that's the next screen. Yeah, God wants his people to be involved. So, It's one thing 
to go to Golden Corral, it would be another for me to get a job there. If I got a job there, um, kids would not be welcome. I would, I would make some changes. Kids, you know, sit at the table, your parents will serve you, it'll be a due rule, a due policy, right? It, all that kind of, you can eat off your parents' plate, but do not let us, if you're at the bar, we're kicking you out. I mean, there are fire escapes, we'll just buff that, those people right out the door and keep that stuff clean. God doesn't do that, God doesn't try to do that. He, he comes down and he, he chooses you and me to do his work, to work in that environment and to help out, and that's it's an amazing thing. So he, he gets Moses' attention, and he does it through a burning bush. A burning bush. A burning bush is not consumed. Now, I would dare say that if you went home today and one of your bushes were burning, but it wasn't being consumed, and a voice came, came out of that bush, you'd either be very excited, you'd either faint, or you would wonder what in the world's happening. It, you would listen to that voice that is in that bush. It would be a very good thing. And, and hopefully you would do what that bush, if it was God, told you to do. I mean, you, it would draw your attention. But I would submit to you today that God gives us burning bushes in a figurative way all the time. We just might not see them as a burning bush. He's always communicating. He's always, he's always trying to get your attention. And your burning bushes might not be visual, but it may be something that only he can accomplish, only he can do, and it happens in your life. I'll give you the number one burning bush that we've had this summer is we have baptized a lot of people this summer. It, it seems like just about every service we have a baptism. Now listen, children's workers, that's part of, your, that's part of you sewing, Okay? This church, that's part of us sowing. That's why we do all this stuff, to, to reach kids and to reach families with the, with the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we just sow. God is the one that saves. And when God saves, that is a burning bush. It, it, is, it is a moment where you're like, wow, God drew them to salvation and actually got the job done. This is amazing. This is a symbol to us. Every single time we baptize someone, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a burning bush to the church that, hey, this is, this is absolutely incredible. This is the way that it, it is supposed to be. So, so there's, there's, there's that. There's other burning bushes too. For instance, um, recently, um, the leaders had a meeting on Sunday, and we are discussing what to do with the land, and we're discussing what to do with this house over here, and we're discussing the, um, the storage facility. And there's a couple of, of things going on with that. One is the, the house is um, two feet too tall to move, four feet too wide to move down the road. So that came as a, as a kind of a shock to, to me, who doesn't really know much about it, but it's just four feet wide. See, in my mind, I'm like, can't you cut part of it off and then move half of it? I've seen half of a, half of a house going down the road. We could cut that one in half, but that's not going to work. That's a dumb idea. So anyway, you, you start doing that, and then you start talking about the storage area that we need, and you know what we need, but you know the money that we have, so you're trying to do all of that, and, and you're just wondering what in the world, how in the world God, God's going to do this. 
And in my heart, I know that it's, it's time for our church to move forward, to move forward with this building, to move forward with that house, to move forward with this land, and to kind of take the next couple of steps. He gave us the land. That's a burning bush. And so, so what in the world are we going to do? So one of our deacons uh, very wisely says, God will let us know when we should take the next step. Well, Tuesday, I came to work, and um, in the mail, a $95,000 check was given to the church by somebody that doesn't even go here. Sent it through a foundation, and they sent it to us, and that is just God's sign. We were wondering where the money was going to come from. Not that we're spending all 95000 on a storage building, but because I would live in that storage building if we... <laughs> 95000 I might move in, Okay. Not sure we'd call it a parsonage, but nevertheless, we store the pastor over there. Uh, that's, that's, I think that's what we would do. But, but nonetheless, I mean, that, that is a significant burning bush. So you, so you start thinking about this kind of stuff, and you're like, oh my goodness, God is, I know God is moving, and I can feel it in my heart, but here's a significant thing that only he can do. Only he can put on somebody else's heart that is not even a part of this church to send money our way, Right? And I'm not saying that he can't work through the church that way. I'm not saying that there isn't people in the church that, that it doesn't. I'm just saying this is a significant sign. It's a significant sign. What I've noticed about God's signs is they're always positive. I've never encountered a negative sign to the Lord unless I just needed to get on my knees and say, I'm sorry, I'm filthy, I'm sorry for that sin, and then move on. When he disciplines me, that's a little bit different. But when he's trying to lead you in a direction, it's always positive like that, and it's always kind of encouraging. In my own personal life, um, many of you know this, but I'll just, I'll just tell you the story and, and just humor me if I've already told you all of this. But my dad on Wednesday went into the emergency room because he had a, a mild heart attack. And uh, so he was moved to Moses Cone, and, and uh, they were discussing whether or not he could actually survive the uh, heart cath. Um, the reason that they were discussing that was well, it wasn't really sure how much damage had been done to his heart, and also his kidneys were operating at 10 and 5%. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good case scenario. So in, in talking to the doctors, there was a 7% to 8% chance that all of this would go right. And then it's the rest of the scenarios that, that were just stepped down. So the majority of, of the thought was we're going to be looking at a long, drawn-out sort of healing process for my dad through this whole process. He had another option to take medication the rest of his life, but he didn't want to take the medication um, because you would still have the pain and it would limit what he would do. So the best-case scenario for my dad was to have, have the heart cath and just leave it into God's hands. So um, Thursday, 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 Friday. Friday, they did the heart cath, and um, the doctor came out after the heart cath and said, this, this was an absolutely amazing thing. We, we went in. We only had to use 60 cc's of the dye. I call it the dye. It's called something else. But the dye, they normally use 100. 
If you're wondering what that means, well, the dye is what your kidneys have to break down after the, after the heart cath is over, and that was their concern, that the dye would actually cause his kidneys to quit working, and then there's dialysis, and then you go down, go down that road. And so they only had to use a minimal amount of that dye. And then while they were in there, he had a heart cath about seven years ago, and he has some long stints. Two of the longest stints that you can get are stuck together in his heart from two years ago. Right where they come together, once the medication that's in a stent wears off, uh, the, uh, the, the body started rejecting that little portion where they came together, so it developed some scar tissue. The scar tissue was blocking his um, heart at 99%. They were able to take a balloon in and, and cut it all out. Right? Sorry. And they were able to make the uh, artery bigger than it was seven years ago. And then his kidneys have, have recovered to the point now where he's going home as we speak. Yeah. And that's a burning bush. For my dad, it means that God's not finished with him yet. It means that he is going to be able to continue to work at the church. He goes over there all the time. And it, I don't, nobody knows how much my dad does at that church. Light bulbs and painting and stuff. And he is just continuing to serve the Lord. And God just isn't finished with him yet. That is a burning bush. It's a burning bush. And we need to be aware of the burning bushes in our life. Now, that was, those were huge. I know those were huge. A baptism is, is the number one big thing, right? And then a, and a gift to the church is a big thing. And a, and a miraculous working of God in a surgery is also a, an amazing thing, right? But there's little burning bushes that happens in our lives all the time where God is trying to communicate to you to do something. It could be through a volunteer form that you receive in the church. It could be your neighbor that's out doing something and you know that you need to go over there and help him out somehow. And it's just a little burning bush where God is saying, I'm involved in your life. I want you to go be involved in someone else's. I want you to do something for me. Are you with me? God is involved and he's compassionate and he is holy, and he wants you to be involved as well in the work that he is doing and the amazing things that he is doing. So, we know that, but if humans are good at anything, they're good at excuses, right? We're good at excuses. Moses is an absolutely amazing man, but when God came to him in a burning bush... He had some excuses for God. Um, for me, I don't never had a burning bush experience, but I, I think about Moses, and I think that's pretty gutsy. <laughs> okay? A fire set right there, your, your sandals are off, and he's talking to you, right? You're saying, uh, but wait a minute, I got a couple excuses. Can I, can I just tell you? You know, most of our excuses are, you know, we don't really hear God, right? I mean, he's not in a burning bush in front of our yard or whatever. I mean, he's not really speaking like in a verbal way, in a magnificent way. But here's Moses. Moses has some gumption. He says that he's nervous in front of people, but he wasn't nervous in front of God. I think that's, 
I mean, he bowed down and to know holiness and all that kind of stuff, but he, he was willing to, to speak his mind. He, yeah, he, that was ama- it's amazing. So, first, in found, his first excuse is found in chapter 3, verse 11. Check this out. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? His first excuse was fear. Fear. Who am I to go and talk to Pharaoh? Well, Moses, you, you lived in his house and you know the Pharaoh that's there. Now, now the one that you fled from is dead, but you know this new Pharaoh. You, you know him. You can go, but I'm, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to go to Pharaoh. Not only was he afraid to go to Pharaoh, he's also afraid to get in front of his people again. Why is he afraid to get in front of his people again? There's a story before here where he kills an Egyptian, and the two, and the two Israelites, you know, he saves them, but then they say to him, are you going to kill us too? So they rejected him. He was trying to deliver them at that point. He was trying to take the steps to deliver them, but... They didn't really want it. If you want, you won't find that in the Old Testament. You'll find it in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7, verses 22 through 29, where Philip, who was a great preacher in the Bible, probably the best one, um, he's preaching a message on his deathbed, and he's saying, hey, you know, when Moses did this, he thought he was going to be the deliverer, and it just didn't work out. The people rejected him. So he's telling the Lord, look, I've tried this before. Have you ever had something that God is telling you to do that you've tried before that, but you've kind of failed at? Ever did that? And so you tried to do it, but maybe it wasn't the right time and maybe it wasn't the right moment or maybe, I don't know, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was you, maybe it was them, I don't know. But nonetheless, you failed at it and then God tells you to do it again and you're like, well, wait a minute, time out. Um, I've tried this before and I don't, I'm not so sure that I want to do that. And fear kind of grabs a hold of you. In verse um, 5, God gives an answer. And he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So God says to fear this, I'll be with you. You're not alone. Now what in the world does taking off your sandals have to do with God being with you? Well, Moses is sitting there telling God, hey, I've tried this before and I'm scared to do it and these people, they're not going to listen to me and I'm kind of scared about all this. And God's response is, hey, I want you to come a little closer to me. I want you to take your sandals off and come a little bit closer because what I'm trying to communicate to you is don't worry about the people, don't fear the people, I am with you. I am close to you. I am in your arena. I am in your personal space. I am going to be with you. The next time you get a burning bush and you know that God is, God is telling you to do something and you have this fear thing, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure about the people. I'm not sure if I can do it, blah, 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 all this kind of fear kind of stuff. Just remember, God is up in heaven, compassionate, and he's saying to you, look, take your sandals off, come a little clearer. You need to read your Bible a little bit more. You need to pray a little bit more about this. You need to come closer to me because I'm telling you, if I'm asking you to do something, I'm going to be with you and I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. And even when you don't think I'm there, I'm there. And when you think I'm there, I'm there. 
I am with you. Fear not. Fear not. Jesus is with us. So, this is first excuse. The second one is I might get pushback. Now, if you're married, okay, she got it. Come on, come on, people. If you're married, you know what this means. Have you ever wanted to do something your spouse didn't want you to do? I know you're scared to say it, but yes, all the men in the room, the ladies are like, no, I get my way all the time. Kind of sitting there just, yeah. yeah. I'm just having a little fun. You get pushback on sometimes, and pushback is a real thing. So, verse 13 says this. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? What shall I say to them? Look, God, I'm going to go to these people, and I'm going to tell them that you sent me, but they're going to think I'm loony. I'm going to get pushback from these people. Listen, if somebody walked in here today, or if I had a special speaker come in and speak to you, and he said, God sent me here, and he told me to say this, we would all be kind of like, uh, I don't know. Some of us would be like, yeah, but other of us would be like, I don't know. I would be one of them. I'm not so, I don't, God did, you ever had that person come up to you and tell you something that God told them to tell you to do, but God's never communicated to you to do that? You ever have that happen? Let me give you a clue, that's not God. That is absolutely not God. However, in this particular case where Moses is coming back, it is God. Something big. The people are already feeling like they need to be delivered and they need, they, need a, they need somebody to come in. They're already feeling that. They're already moved in that direction. He's afraid of pushback. So this is what God says to, to, him, to him. In 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Let me put it to you this way. It's not about you. Okay? God has told Moses to go to these people, and he's saying, but they're not going to accept me. And God's up in heaven saying, time out, buddy. It's not about you. It's about me. I am that I am. It's not you are, and you're all that in a bag of barbecue potato chips, and you're awesome, and I want you to go because I know you can do it. No, it's not that. It is this. It's I am that I am. I'm the one sending you. Listen, when you're serving God, that has to be your attitude. People get upset at you when you're serving God. They're not getting upset at you. They're getting upset at the I am. If they think something weird about you and it's really not true and you know they're kind of, kind of fidgety on it, It is not you they have a problem with. It's the I am. If you have this idea that God has called you into a place to do something and it's a part in the church, whether it's children's ministry or it's somewhere out while you're working or whatever, and God, you know that God has sent you to that portion. If they reject you, they are not rejecting you. They're rejecting the I am that sent you. 
It is not about you. Listen, church is not about me. It's not about Philip Brand. And here's another clue. It's not about you either. This is about the great I am who saved our souls so that we could be a church, so that we could serve the Lord, so that we could talk to him, so that we could figure out where to go for him. It is about him, not you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about me. Now turn to your neighbor and say, if you make fun of me, you're making fun of God. Yeah. It's not about you. So, chapter 4, verse 1. Here's another excuse. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So what Moses is saying is, I have seen the polling data. I have seen MSNBC over there and CNN and FOX. I've sent them all out to the people. We've come up with this poll. And the poll says if somebody shows up at any given moment, they're just not going to believe him. That's what he's saying there. The Moses answered, Behold, they will not believe me. Where did he get that information from? Well, he has past experience of them not believing him. To be fair, he has past experience. So I've seen the polar data, I know, I've seen the past, I know that this is just not going to work out. So then God, because he's weird sometimes, says, um, do you see that stick right there? Yeah, I see that stick. Pick it up, throw it down, becomes a snake. He grabs the snake by the tail, becomes a stick. Now, I think it would take faith to pick up the snake by the tail, so it would come back, I think that would be, how many of you, would, that's a good amount of faith for you, like picking up a snake by the tail? Yeah, don't try that at home. I don't think it's going to work. Then the next thing he tells him to do is, you know, kind of stick your hand inside your, your robe, right? Fix your girdle while you're in there, because they had these girdles that walked around like this, so they put your, you know, I don't know if there's any type of stuff on them to kind of kill fat cells or whatever. You ever seen those wraps? They stink, but your wife wears them sometimes. You, you know what? You know what I'm talking about? Nikon is one of It was a big thing. Do you, do you have to know what I'm talking about? Anyway, it doesn't matter. That was so three years ago. Now we're into a LaRue row or something like that, that. Stuff, yeah. Clothing. Anyway, nonetheless, so you have this thing. So he's in there. He brings it out, and his arm is leprous. He sticks it back in and comes back out, and it's gone. What in the world? Why, why the stick? Why the arm? What is God saying through those symbols? And this is what he's saying. I'm bigger than the people. I'm bigger than the people. In other words, do this poll. Why don't you bring all those people together, give them all sticks, let them throw it on the ground and see if those sticks turn into snakes? Nope, they're not, that's not going to happen. But yours will, because I'm bigger than the people. You tell those people to stick, he didn't really do this. You tell those people to stick their hand inside their little cloak and come back out and it'll be leprous. Those people are going to stick their hands inside the cloak all day and it's not going to become leprous when it comes out. But Moses, because he's serving a God that's bigger than the people, that is what's going to happen. God is not only bigger than the Israelite people, he's going to be bigger than the Egyptian people when he does ten plagues 
plus one, sort of, miracle, parting of the Red Sea, on the way out, because God is bigger than the people. If God has called you to do something, if you have a burning bush that gives you an open door, God is bigger than the people. God's more power, powerful than the people. He is with you, and any excuse you have, I've done the, the polling data, they're not going to like me. Who cares? Who cares? They're not going to believe me. Who cares? God is bigger than the people. You know, our problem, sometimes we make ourselves bigger than God. That's our problem. We become bigger than God, and we know more than God, and we're more powerful than God, and we know how this is all going to work out better than God. And we give him that excuse, and he comes right back and says, look, no, 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 listen, you've got it all wrong. I am bigger than the people, and I'm bigger than you, and I'm going to take care of you. Go. So the excuse just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Here's another one. 410 says this, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said, do you have a wife? No, he didn't. I'm just kidding. Look, opposite people, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to go down that road. Okay. Then the Lord said to him, after he does this excuse, I can't speak. I'm not gifted enough to do this. I'm not gifted enough. God gives him an answer. And the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? <laughs> who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Translate that for you. God says, I will be seen in what you lack. If you can't speak, you're going to be able to speak when I use you. If you can't do that particular task that is required of the task that I've given you to do, I am going to be seen in my power when you do that task. It is amazing to me how God works in our weaknesses. The very person that you think can't do something is the very person that is empowered to do that particular thing that they're not gifted in before they receive the call of God and before they follow God. God is seen in what we lack. I'm not gifted enough? You are, because God will be seen in what you lack. He will give you what you need at that moment. So, after all of that, 4.13 says this, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Let me translate that for you. I don't want to do this. I'm stubborn. Can you send somebody else? After all these things that God has done to him, any burning bush in front of him, Moses is still saying, I am not going to do this. Can you send someone else? Look, we can't give him that much of a hard time because we do this to God all the time. Look, I... I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I want to do this over here. I don't want to serve you in this way. I don't want to do this. And so God in this passage of Scripture gets angry at Moses. He gets angry at him, and he gives him a speech. And he tells him that his brother Aaron is going to come, his older brother Aaron, is going to come, and, and he's on his way, and he'll be the one that speaks for him. But he is going to go. God is both angry and compassionate at the same time in this passage. 
He does not give up on Moses, and he has not given up on you. You may be here today, and you are constantly telling, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, I want to, don't want to be involved, I just want to do this in church, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that. And you know that you have these little burning bushes that keep telling you and prompting you to move forward. Maybe you used to be involved and now you're not, or maybe, maybe you've never been involved or whatever, but God keeps pushing you and you keep pushing back. I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. And this is what God is saying. God is saying, I am not giving up on you. I am is not giving up on you. So you're going to constantly get those burning bushes. And he's going to constantly come after you until the day that you die to get you to serve him. He wants you for some reason. The excuse of, I just, I just don't want to do that, is, is not a good excuse. God wants you to do it. And after all, it's not about you. Now, I'm going to add one that's not in the text. It's a bonus, okay? It's a bonus. When I say it's not in the text, I believe that we could take the time to show you how this all works, but nonetheless, I don't want to go to another text today. I want to kind of wrap it up with this. So here's the bonus. Are you ready? Here it is. I don't have enough time. This tags on to, I don't want to do this, I don't have enough time. I don't want to do this, I don't have enough time. I hear believers all the time say, I wanted to be involved in that, but I just don't have time. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm judging, but at the same time, as soon as they say that, you start thinking through, what, is, what exactly are they, what's taking up their time? And once you start listing what's taking up their time, like they have plenty of time. Maybe you need to quit doing the insignificant things and do something significant for God, for the great I am. Maybe you need to make time for him and erase something out of your life that is making you way too busy. I don't have enough time. This is God's response to you. The time you have is a gift from me. Come on, church. You could die at any moment. And it's God that starts your days, and it's God that ends your days. And he has given you a certain amount of time to be a steward with. Are you wasting the time that God has given you on just stuff in life that just doesn't matter? Are you just doing a bunch of stuff that in the long run doesn't lay up treasures for you in heaven? That, that you've got this perfect here on earth, but in heaven it's just... You've skipped out on God and you're no longer serving Him? Maybe your burning bush is, I'm going to allow Satan to put this in front of my, my believers today and I'm going to see if they're going to shoot me or not. I'm going to see if this is going to distract them from serving me. I'm going to see if they will have the faith to say no because God wants me to be here. God wants me to be doing this. God wants me to be going in this direction. 
we are often way too busy. And the way that you know you're too busy is when God gets crossed out of your schedule. He is the easiest thing to cross out of your schedule. The easiest thing. But it's the most hurtful thing to cross out of your schedule. It's the most life-altering thing to cross him out of your schedule. It is very damaging to your spiritual awareness. It's very damaging to your spiritual walk. It's very damaging to you when you cross God out of your schedule because you are using the time that he has given you for something that doesn't amount to the hill of beans at the end of the days. Are you with me, church? Moses had tons of excuses in a burning bush. We need to get over our excuses and go forward as servants of God, soldiers in his army to make a difference in this world. Let's pray.